This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. I just finished traveling Southeast Asia for 41 days, and I usually always get sick when I travel, and quite frankly, eating is difficult for me. It's hard to find a restaurant, and I'm spoiled in Austin with my personal chef. Well, I took these little packets with me this time, 30 of them, in my carry-on suitcase. They kept me totally healthy with 11 different secret ingredients. You can see them at nathanlacka.com forward slash juice. I'll tell you more later on in the show. That's nathanlacka.com forward slash juice. Folks, many of you reach out to me and you say, Nathan, so many guests on your show talk about the importance of batching. But whenever I try and batch, you tell me this. You go, Nathan, they don't book back-to-back -back times. So you, or they don't show up after they book. It's frustrating. The answer is, guys, you have to use smart tools. I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. I'll tell you specifically how I use it later on in the episode. This is episode 671. Coming up tomorrow morning. Adam joins us who runs his own agency and he breaks down how to run from an agency model where you have to hustle for new clients every month to a software model with predictable revenue. Be sure to tune in, especially if you are an agency founder and tune in every morning for a new episode. Good morning, guys. Nathan Lackey here. My guest this morning is Steve McLaughlin. He is the C one of the founders and CEO of Fin Financial Technology Partners and former senior banker at Goldman Sachs, covering fintech for over 20 years. He was recently named Investment Banker of the Year, ranked number two banker in Silicon Valley by The Information, which, by the way, they've got a very interesting business model. And he's top ranked on Institutional Investors Online Finance 35, list of most influential people in fintech. Steve, are you ready to take us to the top? Ready to do it. Let's go, Nathan. All right. So we had John Stein on in yesterday's episode with Betterment. In episode 469, we had on Andy with Wealthfront. You are actively playing in the financial technology space. Give people an understanding quickly about how you're playing in this space. What do you do? Sure. My company does two things. We advise uh, firms across the entire fintech landscape on raising capital and M&A. So we're usually on the sell side, you know, helping people figure out where to get money, how to get money, what the valuation is, what the structure is, you name it, or where to find a buyer, or both at the same time. So that's pretty much what we do across everything from you know, wealth tech to payments to insurance tech and, and any other part of fintech. So take us back to last year. Give us a sense of kind of total transaction volume you were involved with. Sure. Probably 10, 15 billion of total transaction volume. Largest deal is probably four and a half billion. Moss was probably raising 10 or 15 million dollars, uh, you know, for a wealth tech company, actually. So you've got you, you kind of mentioned these three sectors, kind of wealth tech, you have then payments, and then you have kind of like robo kind of advisor things. It sounds like that's how you're categorizing these. Which one of these industries? Well, my question is going to be, which one of these industries are, are you seeing kind of the highest valuations in from buyers or potential investors? But I think I'm going to change my question to which of these industries are you, are you like, are you most excited about? Are you seeing the kind of the most interesting deals in? You know, really, it's across the board. I mean, everything from B2B payments to consumer payments to online lending, companies like Prosper or Green Sky uh, in the payment space like Marketa is growing at hundreds of percent a year. Um, it, it's all over the map. But in the wealth tech space, that's one of the ones I think is going to be a little bit slower to ramp, but has probably the most staying power long term because you just keep piling 
assets on top of each other over the years and the stickiness level over some of these platforms like Betterment, Wealthfront, and others is is huge. So um, any other any other players any other players you see in the space besides those two, Betterment and Wealthfront? Well, I like some of the guys that are doing B two B sort of arms race kind of guys, guys like Riskalyze who are you know basically behind the scenes providing the same kind of technology to um, RAs and other advisors or someone like a BlackRock who we advised last year in buying a company called Future Advisors. So you got the guys that are going directly after the consumers, um, and, and we like Betterment and Wealthfront quite a bit. We also like Personal Capital and some of those types of players. Um, but the B2B guys, we, we like as well. So um, it's a lot, lot of uh, good activity. So walk, well, actually, let's dig into that deal you just mentioned with BlackRock. It was called Future Advisor? Yeah, Sequoia-backed company. Um, uh, you know, kind of a startup and was going initially after the consumer side, pivoted a little bit to, the, to be a B2B player. And, uh, you know, can't say the size of the deal, but you can Google it and it's out there. It's a pretty large transaction uh, given it's BlackRock. But, uh, you know, their angle was really just, you know, how do we go out and arm, you know, all the different advisors across the globe, uh, you know, with this robo technology that is uh, being offered to consumers directly through the internet. You know, how do you do to bricks and clicks or human and, and internet, so to speak? Yep. And guys, just so you have context, according to just my research, this is not uh, Steve confirming this, but according to my research, that was BlackRock acquiring Future Advisor for about $150 million back in uh, August 27, uh, 20, I think 15 it was. So healthy deal. Were you on, so Steve, paint, paint FT partners into this for a second. Were you on the cap table at Future Advisor or you were just brought in at the end to maximize the exit? So interestingly enough, um, I mentioned at the beginning, we generally are on the sell side. On this one, was not unusual. We were on the buy side. So oh. we actually got hired by BlackRock as an advisor. So we got paid an advisory fee for advising them on, you know, how to do the deal, what to pay, how to think about it, how to structure the, you know, compensation and other things like that. So and what was going on with the other deals in the industry. So we were their advisor. So, you know, we, like I said, normally are on the sell side, but, you know, we've been hired by BlackRock on the buy side. Google, Google Capital, you know, Ally Bank, CIBC, Nomura, some very large FIs, financial institutions have brought us on their team uh, to learn how to buy these sort of startup companies. And how do you, yeah, it is. And for people that are not familiar with kind of this space, how do you make money? I mean, what's your business model? Sure. I mean, generally, you know, we give advice for doing large transactions. So someone calls us up, they want to raise $100 million or $200 million, or they want to sell for a billion, or they want to buy a company for 150 or 200 million or whatever the number is, you know, we're basically paid on success. It's some sort of commission, usually on a percentage basis of the value of the deal. Sometimes it's related to um, how high the deal is. You know, the, the percentage can go up and up and up as we have more value. So um, so we're in there, um, you know, putting presentations together, doing market research, contacting buyers, um, developing valuation thesis. Uh, work on these deals and, uh, you know, essentially putting buyers and sellers together and trying to make a market for these companies. Sometimes we get hired by the seller and they just, there's just one buyer and we're going to talk to that one buyer. Sometimes we go out to 50 buyers. Sometimes it's going out to just U.S. buyers. Sometimes it's China, Asia, um, the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. So um, it could be very wide, it could be very narrow. And I understand there's variation based on deal size and in terms of what you take. But I mean, is this similar to other brokers? Let's say you're averaging 3% of the deal size. It's different, you know, on a multi-billion dollar deal, you know, it can be a percent and on, you know, a hundred million dollar deal, it can be 7%. Got it. So it, it kind of scales with the deal size. And then some of the fees can be, 
pretty large. If you end up getting a much higher price than people were expecting, you can get a bigger percentage. So I want to do a hypothetical with you because I think this hypothetical sure. might actually come true in the future, but don't confirm or deny this. So if you have insider knowledge, obviously don't share that, but assume what John just told me on yesterday's episode is accurate. And that is that Betterment has passed $8 billion in assets under management. And their model is a quarter of a percentage right on assets under management, right? So people can do the math and figure out what their revenue is. BlackRock has has hired you or some other company, some other big company has hired Vanguard has hired you and they want to buy a company like Betterment. How do you value a wealth technology, you know, company like Betterment? Sure. Um, I think uh, the last thing we would do is look at, you know, uh, AUM or revenues today. We would sort of look at what are all the factors affecting Wealthfront or a Betterment and you know what do we think that company's going to look like in seven to ten years? So if everything goes according to plan, they become a dominant provider and, and have eight hundred billion at that level. They're going to be at scale. They're probably still going to be growing quite quickly. Um, they're going to have EBITDA. They're going to have real earnings, real margins, and we would look to see what it was worth out in the future. So you'd, you'd run fifty different scenario analysis to figure out you know what the company might look like in the future, and then start picking the ones you think really reflect your personal view of the future. And then that's that's a certain dollar amount in the future. Uh, and they say, what would I be willing to pay for that today? And that's a function of what return I would require for taking that risk. And so we're always looking out 5, 10, 15, 20 years and seeing what could a company be worth and then saying, how do we get value for that today? So um, it's, it's much more complicated than just looking at a company's current revenues or current earnings, um, particularly for these higher growth companies um, like the ones you're talking about. So it's uh, very esoteric. It's probably one of the hardest things the value in the world is the is a, is a high growth private company that doesn't make any money yeah. right because at the end of the day there's no money flowing out the bottom so what is it worth some people might think it's worth nothing some people might worth think it's worth and Snapchat, you know, $25 billion, you know, these are, these are tricky to value companies. You guys probably at FD Partners, you see a deal like Snapchat at the partners meeting on Monday and you go, thank God we're in the financial technology space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should have, started, should, have, should have started a Snapchat app. <laughs> so let me, so both Andy at Wealthfront and guys listening, if you want to go back and hear all of Andy's data about Wealthfront, you can go back and listen to episode 498. John's was all, he revealed it all yesterday. Um, companies like this, both Andy and John, uh, Steve, would brag about the fact that when you look at the growth of ETFs in terms of assets under management, both of them are growing significantly faster than the adoption of ETFs. I, I assume that's kind of a metric you're going to use to try and predict what they're going to look like in five to 10 years. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I would look at pretty much any trend that, 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 could, that could mimic what they're doing or that they could be an example of. I mean, if you look at how mutual funds took off or ETFs or index funds, you know, the question is, is robo advice you know on a platform that's direct to consumer going to mimic what happened in mutual funds index etfs and, and other categories over the course of time um i think the jury's out on that you know what do you believe uh, um i think that it's it's first of all i think you can have a lot of winners right you've had a lot of companies in the mutual fund industry that you know didn't win you had a lot of that did and sometimes the ones that won big time or in the second wave. So there's no saying that the guys who invented uh, the popularized robo-advisor are going to be the winners, but I tend to think those companies are going to do quite well. Um, you know, I'm not an investor of those companies, but um, I know those guys. I see them from far. I'm a big fan. So I, I think they're going to be, be winners. And I think they've already proven that to some extent because they've outlasted lots and lots of other guys that have tried to do it, right? Even, even like a future advisor who tried to do that pivoted to B2B is now working with, with BlackRock. So a lot of the guys that were doing B2C 
you know, never really developed the brand name, developed the technology. And the thing I'm most proud of as it relates to these companies for them is they, they've raised a lot of money and they're really, I think they care a lot about the consumers behind the platform. And they realize that if people actually manage their money correctly over the course of time, you know, it can create a much better society um, because the people will retire better, save more money, be able to donate more as they get older and things like that. So there's, there's sort of a, an odd social benefit to this whole thing. When I sat down with some of those CEOs, of these companies, that's some of the things they talk about. It's hard to imagine, you know, people going their whole life just investing poorly, uh, making bad decisions, and, and getting to, you know chopped at the knees on fees every year. Just the fees alone um, can can greatly impact your retirement and some bad decisions along the way, which I think generally the robo-advisors are gonna keep you from making terrible decisions, which a lot of people do, selling when the market crashes or buying when the market spikes um, or not tax, doing tax loss harvesting and things like that. So I think um, there's, a, um, there's a lot of power in these models. That being said, I think it's really hard to build a consumer brand. Uh, and I think that the empire will strike back, so to speak, with the Black Rocks and guys like Risk Allies who are growing like a weed right now um, What's you know, Risk Allies do? Um, they have uh, various risk tools and robo advisor tools that they sell into RIAs. So, um, uh, so sorry. What was the acronym? What was the acronym you just said? RIAs, what registered investment advisors. Uh. Registered investment advisors. So, um, you know, they they might sell into like a Raymond James, for example. I'm not saying that's a client, but in his example, they've got thousands of financial advisors who you know, two years ago would sit across the desk and give personal advice and there wouldn't be a robo component necessarily. But, you know, going forward, they can be armed with the very same or similar tools that someone like a, a Wealthfront or Betterment would give directly to a consumer. And the fact is, like, some consumers like to do things extremely self-directed and some like to have a human sort of working with them, sort of working the robo-advisor uh, uh, technology behind the scenes. And some people like a, a pure hybrid where they want to do some themselves and some with a human. So, it's, um, I think all the models can succeed. We're still in the first inning. There's hundreds of, of mutual fund companies that did incredibly well. The key is sticking at it and having the funding to do it. Um, I think that's one of the problems I'm seeing in Silicon Valley is a lot of these companies, not necessarily these wealth management companies, but in general, are not getting enough funding. Everybody wants to build- Fintech companies. Fintech companies, exactly. There's no one that's really putting, you know, $500 million behind these companies, right? It's always drips and drabs of 10, 20, 30, $40 million. You did see Betterment raise $100 million uh, from Shinovic in, in Europe, which I thought was tremendous uh, uh, for them to be able to have that kind of capital to kind of build, to build the technology they really need to build and be able to do the kind of marketing they need to build uh, their business on. So I think, you know, the arms race for raising capital, which is where we come into play is critical and um, I think it puts pressure on the other guys in the space to raise large amounts of capital and, and really build the business. What I struggle with, Steve, and I, I'll be transparent. I'm going to talk me personally for a second. I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett. Go to all the all the you know the the annual meetups and all that jazz. And I just and stick to his I just stick to his advice, right? Which is I'm not going to be active. I'm never going to beat the market. I'm never going to do this stuff. I'm just going to put it in a passive low exchange ratio Vanguard S and P 500 index, and that's what I do. And there's a significant amount of money that I have there. I was hoping Andy or John would be able to convince me to take a shot at one of them, throw 10 grand into both of them, see what happens over a few years, do a comparison. The fact is I just don't understand why I would do that, right? Their argument would be, well, we're gonna save you more with real-time tax loss harvesting, which Vanguard can't do. The problem is their fees are a little bit higher than what I'm doing in Vanguard. And Warren Buffett says you have to keep your exchange ratios low. So why isn't Warren Buffett recommending Betterment and Wealthfront? 
I mean, he probably doesn't know much about Betterment and Wealthfront. I think one <laughs> of the things that I that I like about Betterment Wealthfront, they're going to have really, really forensic case studies on decent swaths of the population where they're going to be able to sort of take, you know, over 10 or 15 years, you know, this part of the population that got on their platform and they, they put a significant amount of assets on the platform and see how it performs through the cycles. And they'll be able to compare that net, net, net against what you're doing in Vanguard index funds or what someone else is doing, investing in a bunch of single stocks or hedge funds or putting their money in checking account. And there will be a perfect comparable data on which was better, right? And so I think you're starting to get to a point where you'll have empirical data that'll say which one was better. Right now, I can't say it will be better to be in Vanguard or better, better Wealthfront. There's a philosophical view as to what might be better, but they've got both got very technical approaches to the robo-advice. Um, and, and eventually it's going to be clear which one was better. And so I think as you get more and more of those case studies, more about that empirical evidence, you know, once people realize smoking, you know, kills you, you know, a lot of people stop smoking. Not everybody, you still can't, you know, people can't help themselves, right? But you still had a, a, a huge march towards that once you get some empirical evidence that these robo-advisor platforms and the value of the lower fees and the tax harvesting and things like that are super, you know, um, uh, powerful over the long haul. You know, that empirical data is going to really propel people to just throw money in these things in droves. Um, whether And whether that's with a, a risk allies or with uh, someone like a Wealthfront or better. Guys, I get asked all the time, Nathan, you host all these interviews, hundreds of them per month. How do you do them efficiently? And guys, the answer is simple. People always agree to my calendar, back-to-back -back meetings. I batch my interviews to stay very efficient. And the way that I do it is I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. And the reason I use them is very simple. They keep my no-show rate very low because they send out reminders about when the interview or the meeting is coming up. And also, they make it very easy to schedule time, right? I don't have to go back and forth via email 10,000 times with people I'm trying to meet with. Okay, at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. Helps me so much. And by the way, look, I like to have so many meetings. I'm the best at meetings, okay? I do them back to back, very, very efficient. You guys know me. Many people say I'm the most efficient they've ever seen. Okay, so I use the tool, it's so efficient. And by the way, I got Gavin, I said, Gavin, he's the CEO. I said, I want a great deal for my people. He said, Nathan, well, most people get a 14 day trial, isn't that great? I said, no. He's giving us a 45 day free trial at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. That's not gonna stay up forever, so go get it now. nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. John, uh, Steve, on that note, let's wrap up here uh, with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, probably uh, Jack Welch from the gut. <laughs> Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Um, uh, not really. I mean, I, I like uh, Jack Dorsey because I'm a huge fan of Square and I'm a huge fan of Twitter. And I think despite uh, the fact that both companies have, have been thrown under the bus over the course <laughs> of time, I've been a huge fan of both. And uh, and so uh, it's, uh, he's someone I, I, I think is... Uh, Pretty amazing and able to start and run two pretty epic companies. Number three, what's your favorite online tool like Acuity Scheduling? Favorite online tool, uh, Uber. Uber. <laughs> Number four, <laughs> how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, if I'm lucky, four uh, to five. Awesome. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Uh, I have a girlfriend. She's awesome. Uh, no kids just yet. Awesome. All right. And last, <laughs> and, and how old are you, Steve? Uh, 48. All right, last question. Take us back 28 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? 
Oh boy. Oh, well, I wish I knew where all the stocks were going. Uh, that, that'd be good. <laughs> I wouldn't have to, wouldn't have to do this. Spoken like a true topic. fintech investor. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, I, I enjoy it and totally love what I do. It's um, our, our clients are awesome. Um, you know, um, just really, I think, you know, spending more time with family and, and, and friends along the way and, and, you know, you can get too wrapped up in work. So, you know, work-life balance is critical and, um, you know, hopefully all of our employees are taking, taking advantage of that as well. There you guys have it from Steve, again, founder and CEO of Financial Technology Partners after being a senior banker at Goldman Sachs. He's been in the space for well over 20 years, doing billions and billions of dollars of transaction volume every year in the financial technology space. He's bullish. He's excited. Steve, we're going to stay in touch. We'll follow up. Thank you so much for taking us to the top. All right. Thanks, Nathan. You're the man. If you enjoyed Steve today, go back and listen to John Stein yesterday, who runs Betterment. They've passed 200,000 investors and 8 billion with a B in assets under management. And my question to John was simple. John, how do you beat Vanguard and Wealthfront? He answers, you tell me if you agree. It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners. But boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Okay, Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars, and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google Ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money. Hostgator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's hostgator.com forward slash Nathan. So guys, I'm so glad to be back in Austin. I just got back from a major tour of Southeast Asia, went to Sydney, Bangkok, Bali, and Japan. And you know, I always get sick when I travel. And this particular trip, my gosh, 15 different airports, 20 different hotels. I mean, imagine flushing in airport bathrooms. I was worried about germs and getting all the nutrition I need. I mean, finding a restaurant in Japan, difficult because nothing's in English. So it's hard enough to figure out the train system. But my point is, I had a guy named Drew Canoli on the show who said, Nathan, if you're concerned about that, take these little green packets with you. You just mix them once per day with water. They'll keep you super healthy. You get all your nutrients and they'll keep you from getting sick. So I took them and guys, they worked unbelievably well. I got no sickness, just mixed them with water once per day. They didn't make my water bottles all sticky. That's like nice. A lot of these mixtures, they make them sticky. It was very clean and smooth. Took them once per day, never got sick. So they've got 11 superfoods and they're perfect if you're not traveling, but you're just on the go from your office to work. So you can check them out at NathanLatka.com forward slash juice. That's NathanLatka.com forward slash juice.